0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Twenty-one plus. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire one hundred and sixty-eight hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hey, where else would you be than right here, right, here. right now? Hey, hey, hey. let's go Buffalo!
1: Wanna. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and
2: insightful fan discussion. Most times. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us. We are less than a week away from the NFL draft. So I wanted to have a special guest on to talk everything Buffalo Bills and the NFL Draft. And that person is none other than the co-host for the Nick and Nolan podcast, Bruce Nolan, a.k.a. Bruce Exclusive. We talk about a ton of things in this episode, including when Bruce started following the NFL Draft, his process for ranking college prospects, some positions that he's looking for the Bills to draft, and his thought on some players that have been commonly mocked to the Bills lately in the second, third, and fourth rounds. So without further ado, let's start this crossover pod. He is the co-host of the Nick and Nolan podcast, which airs twice every week on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. He is a writer for buffalorumblings.com, and you've heard him on WGR 550 and almost every Bills podcast known to mankind. I'd like to welcome Bruce Nolan, a.k.a. Bruce Exclusive, a.k.a ziggy civic to the podcast bruce <laughs> it is great to finally talk to you in person how are you Nate, it's fantastic to be here man thank you so much thank you so much for having me I,
1: I i feel like i'm gonna be uh be like a khaleesi i'm gonna have like 37 names here mc blowhard <laughs> the exclusive one you know ziggy civic before you know uh purveyor
2: of many podcasts
0: <laughs> bend the knee and join me
2: i really you know i'm a big fan of your show with nick and really appreciate your football knowledge just in general, man. Um, but also your NFL draft knowledge, which I know is something that you've, you you take a, a, a very fine interest in, um, which is why I wanted to talk to you exactly one week away from the draft. So for those that don't know or those of us that need a refresher, how did you become such a big football fan and what are your personal ties to the game itself?
1: So I was born just west of Philadelphia. And... My whole family, yes. I am also the Fresh Prince of Bill's Mafia. Yo, what's up, Jay? <laughs> My whole family is Eagles fans on that side. And when I was very young, I went to an Eagles game, and the person in front of us was flying the opposing team's colors and was not horribly well-received by the Eagles fans who are not known for their hospitality. And as I was leaving, I was I was shook. I was a very young child. I was, I was shook by this concept. I... I asked my father. I said, how, how could this possibly be? I thought football was a joyous occasion. I don't understand why this would be the case. And it, it scarred me to such a point that I thought in my my very young brain that surely the issue was Eagles fans because no other fans would ever do this. Obviously, it's all clearly the problem was just in Philadelphia. And so the only logical thing to do in my mind was to count up all of my football cards, which I had collected since I was a very small child And whoever I had the most cards of, whichever team represented the plurality of my football cards, I would be a fan of that team because obviously that's the logical thing to do when you're that age. So I did. And I counted up all my cards and I had the most Buffalo Bills cards. And so I went to my father and I announced to my family that I was going to be a Buffalo Bills fan. Therefore, moving forward into perpetuity, I was going to be a Bills fan. It's been over 30 years since that day and I'm still a Bills fan. So that's what got me on uh, on the Bills, although football was
2: pretty much part of my blood. Wow. So when did you start following the NFL draft closely? And what is your process for evaluating players? I mean, do you start as soon as this draft ends and start looking at players? Do you wait until the college football season? How does that go for you? So
1: I started following the draft mo- right after the 1993 draft. So my first full draft experience process was, who the hell is Mel Kuyper? That was my first experience with the NFL draft, because what happened was the year before that was the Rick Meyer drew Bledsoe year. And I wasn't really following the draft, but I I started to get fascinated by these two quarterbacks and this, this publicity around these two quarterbacks coming out. And I couldn't tell the difference, of course, because I was young and an idiot. So. I'm like, okay, well, th- clearly they're going to be equally as good because, I mean, they're right there neck and neck. I, this is way, way before the whole Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning thing. But the Rick Meyer, Drew Bledsoe year – and I was very, very, very wrong. Drew Bledsoe's uh, start of his career was markedly different than Rick Meyer's start of his career. And that process kind of got me hooked. So the first year I decided that I was really going to try and dive in was the Who the Hell is Mel Kiper 1994 draft. And ever since then, I have – gotten progressively and progressively more invested in the NFL draft. And I usually don't start right after the draft is over. I usually start right around spring games. When you start to see spring games for college football and you get closer to the start of the college football season, I'll sit down and say, okay, here are the people who are seniors. Here are the people I think are going to declare. Here are the people I'm going to start watching. And then I just watch an absolute crap ton of college football with my notepad out. And I start taking notes and I make sure that I specifically and strategically watch specific games for specific players. So I'm not watching the USC Utah game at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night just for fun. I mean, it is fun for me, but I'm looking for, at a specific player. I'm saying I need to watch this game because these people are playing. And if I miss one, I usually try and go back and, and hit it during the week if I can. And then at the end of the year, I try and fill in the gaps. I try and go back, and I have to start right after the right after the pro season is over. I start going back and filling in the gaps of all the players that I didn't see. And then they start, of course, underclassmen start declaring. And sometimes someone will declare that I wasn't prepared for. I'll I'll see, oh, you know, Bob Smith declare. I'll be like, who the hell is Bob Smith? <laughs> like, I'm like, what? I don't know who that is. I gotta I gotta go back. Yeah. And so sometimes I'll go back, and and it all kind of accumulates with uh with the NFL draft, which is a a big deal for me. I used to do a mock draft that I would do in the, just for the first round. And I would put it on the old Buffalo Bills message boards every year. And I was really excited. That was the, that was the pinnacle of the Bruce experience at that point. I was really excited about it. And it's just something, it's something that really fascinates me because of the strategy behind it. And so I got hooked on it early and here we are.
2: Now, I'm always curious of with anyone that that takes a look at the draft, especially when you have like two big teams playing each other, like, for example, LSU Clemson. Now I know there was a national championship game and that was further down. We knew who was big then. But I mean, if you watch a game like that in the first week of the season, how do you pay attention to 10 prospects on each side of the ball? Um, you know, it's the people that could be potentially be drafted. Do you have to watch every play over and over again to like to see, you know, how did the offensive lineman do against the defensive lineman on the other side of the ball and the wide receivers and the safeties? I mean, it's all in one play. It occurs. how, yeah. how do you do how do you do that?
1: I I can't speak to anybody else. What I do is I'll separate it by quarters. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do is the first quarter, I'll watch just just line play. Just line play. I won't even take my eyes. The quarterback could be could be throwing the ball, you know, up into triple coverage and I won't be paying attention because I'll only be looking at the line. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the next quarter, I'll, I'll look at secondary levels. I'll look at the linebackers and I'll, I'll try and gauge rate and react and stuff like that. But there's no possible way you can do it without multiple watches. You can't, at least as far as I'm concerned. I haven't figured out a way to watch 11 people simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that good at this point. If there are people out there who are that good, then, you know, my tip of my cap to you, but. For me, it requires specific discipline to be able to say, "Okay, this is the time I'm going to watch these people. This time I'm going to watch these people," and then you got to go back.
2: Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. So this is the first year. I mean, the draft will be televised, but this is the first year where it won't have all of the theatrics that it normally does. There won't be the green room in the back. There won't be the the players with the agents, you know, gathered in a big room. Um, There won't be the commissioner going up to a podium, you know, in front of a a bunch of fans. Uh, This is going to be something very different. Than we've seen in a long time. Um, what's one thing that you'll be missing about the draft not being shown in its normal fashion on TV?
1: The joy of the draft for me is in the strategy behind it and the team building philosophies. So basically my experience will be almost identical. However, my wife watches it with me and my wife absolutely loves when they come out on stage with their suits And she goes, Oh, I like that guy's suit. Oh, I like that guy's suit. He looks like a nice guy. I hope we draft him. He looks like a nice, nice young man. And so that's something I'm going to miss because I love sitting next to her while she watches them intro and you go, oh, 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 I really like his suit or, oh, man, I don't don't like his suit at all. Mm -hmm. No, no, (laughs) I I hope we don't draft him. I don't like his suit. (laughs) So that's something I'm going to be really, really significantly missing because my wife and I have been together for a long time. And every single year I look forward to sitting next to her while she goes through this yes, no, yes, no, yes, no judge of their fashion. Mm -hmm. And this year I'm not going to get it. <laughs>
2: Do they? Now don't they all look nice because they all just got drafted and they're all happy and they all just became millionaires? Well, you know, Stefan Gilmore
1: didn't look very happy when we drafted <laughs> no. him. So I guess it's not it's entirely possible to not look happy while dressed in a really nice suit and getting a million dollars in generational wealth secured for your family. There is a possibility that you could not look happy. Stefan Gilmore has proven that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I remember at the time listening to WGR the next day and everyone saying, "Oh, it doesn't really matter. I mean, who cares what it and it turns out that it actually did matter and he really wasn't happy at the time. Or at least that's what we suspect. Um, you know what? I well, think- he didn't get
1: to be on t- television, so you know. Yeah,
2: <laughs> he was like, "I'm not going to.
1: My family can't watch me I'm, uh, on television."
2: <laughs> um, you know what I think I'm going to miss the most about the draft uh, being televised in the same fashion is I'm going to miss Roger Goodell getting booed every pick in the first round. I don't know why. I just think it's hilarious that NFL fans that paid that much money to go to that venue. Boo the person who's putting it on to me. It's just, it's just, I don't know, (laughs) I just get a kick out of it.
0: Welcome, football fans, to the 2018 NFL draft, Texas style. I can't believe you guys are booing the Cowboys. Come on,
1: they boo the person whose salary they are paying (laughs) by doing this.
2: (laughs) Oh, my goodness, it's just, it's just funny. Okay, let's talk, um, positions. Uh, for the Bills in the draft. Now, last year, after the draft, you gave the Devin Singletary pick an F because it seemed that the Bills already had their starting running back in LaShawn McCoy. But you also said if the Bills cut LaShawn McCoy, which they did, that you'd make the pick an A because you really like Devin Singletary as a player. Now, this year, what's a position, if any, in which the Bills could draft a player in the first few rounds that would make you give them an F regardless of the talent?
1: I don't think that there would necessarily be an F, but I have a hard time imagining a path to reasonable snaps for a three tech defensive tackle. So if we were at 54 and, you know, Ross Blacklock, for example, is the pick you look at yourself and go, okay, he walks in the door at, as DT six. I mean, I, I, just, I just, I don't see a path to meaningful snaps. And so positional value matters and obviously you know best player but I have a f- hard time imagining a three-tech defensive tackle being the best player on the board relative to the value and the snaps you're going to get from that person and this is not a scenario where you're you're planning for next year either you have multiple defensive tackles under contract for multiple years and it just it might be the least necessary position on our team right now mm-hmm. I'm trying to think pretty much every position is a higher need than defensive tackle. So I think the defensive tackle high would be something where I would just go throw my hands up in the air and go, okay, but why? So, so what would you say you're doing here? (laughs) And I would be a little confused by that. And so last year with Devin Singletary, I, I railed against the pick, not because I didn't like Devin Singletary, because I said, what, 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 I don't want to waste Devin Singletary for a year. I I, I railed and said, you didn't have to season a running back. You don't get a running back and you stash him for a year, hoping you can use him next year. When you get a running back, you put that guy on the field right now and start earning that rookie running back window when you have a, a player come into the league in his athletic prime and a player who I am not interested in giving a second contract to. And so I was not a fan of that one. And I don't think it would be quite as significant for defensive tackle, just because positional value is always going to be higher at defensive tackle than running back. But I have a hard time imagining a path to the roster or any sort of meaningful playing time at that position.
2: That's a good one. I hadn't thought of three tech. Would you put one tech in there as well, just with Starlet Tulley and um, Harrison Phillips and potentially Vernon Butler?
1: Any I think one tackle? tech is an easier path to the roster than three tech right now, mostly because you can imagine a 2021 Bills team without Starla Tulley. You can't imagine a 2021 because he restructured his contract. He's going to be around here for a while. But I can imagine a 2021 Bills team without Star Tule. Now, the issue when you get into one tech is you get into positional value because, you know, run stuffing defensive tackles are not something you should draft high in anyway. So if we still had a 22, for example, we still had 22 and we picked a one tech defensive tackle at 22. That would probably get an F for me. A two-down run-stuffing mm-hmm. defensive tackle. Um, that's just a tremendously poor use of positional value with your with your resource allocation. So, I think one tech would be easier to roster, but also one tech has less value. So, I'd probably be just as irritated with either one of the defensive tackle positions. I'd find a reason to be irritated. in General.
2: <laughs> what what a, what about quarterback? I mean, and, and do you think? I mean, I, I feel like it would just be awkward if they drafted a quarterback in the second round if somebody fell um, to that spot. And and follow up to that question is, should the Bills even consider drafting a quarterback this this year? I personally think they should.
1: I absolutely think they should. I think when you have a team that is ready to contend for deep playoff runs, that can be quickly, quickly abolished by a quarterback injury. And I'm not Okay with Matt Barkley as the reason why this team ends 9 and 7 instead of 11 and 5 and misses the playoffs. And so being able to have a quarterback who can float the boat for a little bit and make sure you don't take on too much water in the event of a starting quarterback injury is impressive resource allocation. It is risk management is what it is. And part of your luxuries when you have a good team with now a ton of holes is you have the ability to make risk management calls qb2 is a need for this team as far as i'm concerned now in regards to taking one high i think that there are other factors specifically political factors that go into taking a quarterback high if you draft a quarterback at 54 the media is going to jump all over this thing Mm -hmm. they don't believe in josh allen and 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 they say that that stuff doesn't matter but After you have to answer so many questions about that, the coach does, then the GM does, then Josh Allen does, then the receivers do, and then the second he has a bad game, oh, hey, you know, did you think about this guy? No one asked Sean McDermott if he thought about yanking Josh Allen for Matt Barkley. Nobody. Because there are clear lines of delineation there. And so I'm okay with drafting a quarterback. But – we draft one at 54, I'm not necessarily going to give it an F because I'm not here to stamp Josh Allen as some sort of savior at this point. But I will raise an eyebrow for sure.
2: Well, what round would it be less awkward to draft him in? I mean, the second or third, I could easily see. I mean, in the third, I'm thinking back to the RG3 Kirk Cousins draft where you know RG3 was drafted number two overall or whatever, and then Kirk Cousins was drafted in the third round. It's like, huh, okay, I guess you're kind of hedging your bets there. Um, With the third round, I mean, I think fourth round and later you could get away with drafting a quarterback and you wouldn't get as many questions from the media as what you were just discussing there. What do you think?
1: I'd go day day three, three. absolutely. I'd start looking in the fourth round. You know, people like James Morgan, Anthony Gordon, those are the people who if I'm going to take a flyer on a late round pick, I'm going to start looking in round four, which is ironically enough right around when you start looking for specialists. Mm -hmm. That's when you start looking for kickers and punters you know, who are really good. So I, I,
2: I view that in the same light. Okay. So some people would argue that um, if you draft a quarterback this year, I mean, what are the odds that they will play better than Matt Barkley as a veteran would this season? So if you're playing this season to go 11-5 and five instead of 9-7, and seven, I mean, how much would a day three rookie be an upgrade over Matt Barkley? Are you just thinking long-term mostly, or are you thinking really the, the 2020 season?
1: I'm absolutely not convinced that Matt Barkley is unupgradable from a fourth-round rookie. Okay. I'm sh- I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me um, that Matt Barkley has done something so significant in his time here on the field that he can't be passed up. I mean, look what Gardner Minshew did last year in Jacksonville. You know, Don't tell me that Anthony Gordon can't come in and be better than Matt Barkley. Mm-hmm. You know? And so <clears throat> that's one of those scenarios where I feel like this team is – too close and they've come too far to let it all go to crap the second josh allen tweaks a knee and that's why i think it's so important so i'm I'm absolutely on board with it i don't think they're going to do it mind you but i would do it there's a lot of things that they would like do i probably (laughs) wouldn't do and a lot of things i would do they probably wouldn't do but upgrading matt barkley is one of those things
2: yeah i would agree with that let's talk about i want i want to give you some players that i've seen from a bunch of different mock drafts, I've compiled a list of um, several that I've seen being mocked to the Bills quite often. And I want to get your thought on them. Just give me a quick spiel on these players and if and if you'd like them um, to be where they're taking f- taken for the Buffalo Bills and if you think it, it's a good fit. So in the second round, I have running backs Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin and J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. What are your thoughts on those players?
1: Jonathan Taylor might be the best pure running back in this class. I think that I get the Adrian Peterson discussion with him, not because he is that level of player. Adrian Peterson obviously was the number seventh overall pick to the Vikings. But Jonathan Taylor, if you want someone to do traditional running back things – If you want to line him up in the backfield, you want to get your quarterback under center, you want to have Jonathan Taylor come downhill, press the line of scrimmage, diagnose, burst through, and make a defender miss on the second level, that's something he can do. And he does it at a higher level than probably anybody in this class. Now, there are questions with Jonathan Taylor. There's ball security questions. There is workload questions. He carried the ball an astronomically large amount of times in college. And so – when you have that workload combined with the fumbling and you think to yourself, goodness gracious, like this guy, this guy might not last to the second contract. Because remember, there's a lot of NFL teams who are really worried about giving running backs second contracts. I would make an argument. I don't care if he makes it to the second contract. That's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem. But there's plenty of people who actually think that way. So if you are a team who wants a long term five to seven year starter at running back, you worry about the tread. With J.K. Dobbins, I'm higher on J.K. Dobbins than most, and it's not because he's an Ohio State guy and I'm an Ohio State guy. That's not it. It's mostly because J.K. Dobbins had, a, had some questions that he had to answer coming into this year. He had a down year last year. There were some questions about how he would do without a mobile quarterback next to him because last year he had Dwayne Haskins, and there really wasn't the threat in the Urban Meyer offense of that zone read that he had previously had with other quarterbacks. So they think, okay, gosh – Without that zone read to hold that backside defender, maybe J.K. Dobbins just isn't as good anymore. And this year, that wasn't the case at all. This year, you know, Justin Fields was markedly hampered by a knee injury for a lot of the year, and J.K. Dobbins still was able to produce. The thing I like about J.K. Dobbins is that sometimes with running backs, you get big play, explosive ability at the expense of negative plays. Barry Sanders, of course, was famous for this, right? He'd go negative two, negative two, 60. Right. And that was just the way it is. CJ Spiller was like this because he was allergic to contact and didn't want anybody to touch him.
2: Whoa, no touchy, No touchy, No touch.
1: So there was something along those lines with other running backs where you have this big play potential, but you have it married to this possibility and probability of negative plays. Finding a running back who can hit the long ball. Without a running back who consistently tries to hit the long ball and suffers because of it is rare. J.K. Dobbins just makes the right decisions. He makes the right calls. When he's pressing a line, if there are only three yards to get on that play, he will get you three yards. If there is a possibility that can be 30 yards, he'll get you 30 yards. You know, he can catch out of the backfield. There's some work to do on the blocking for sure. But as far as planting your foot downhill and going – J.K. Dobbins has that. Now, I don't think he's gonna make that, make that high safety, make break down and kind of make that guy miss 20 yards down the field. But J.K. Dobbins consistently running inside, outside zone, running downhill. He can do what you need him to do. He gives you that downfield element that the coaching staff flat out said was the reason why Frank Gore saw the field instead of TJ Yeldon. He said he gives us that downhill factor. If you want that downhill factor and you still want to be able to actually break a big one, J.K. Dobbins is both of those things. He's everything Devin Singletary's not. He's my personal RB1. Wow.
2: Okay. Well, so there's there's two trains of thought on this. So one is that you upgrade a running back. You give Josh Allen two really great running backs, maybe a J.K. Dobbins to go along with Devin Singletary. And the other uh, school of thought would be upgrade the offensive line to make Devin Singletary that much better and then throw in maybe a day three running back. Where do you come out on that? And and if you see some a really good, you know, possibly guard, you know, possibly possibly an interior offensive lineman at number 54, would you would you take that over at JK Dobbins?
1: If you told me my RB one was on the board and my uh, my interior offensive lineman, say someone like Jonah Jackson or Matt Hennessy, Matt Hennessy from Temple is a center, but I think he can play guard at the next level. Jonah Jackson is a is a guard from Ohio State, ironically enough. If you told me that those two were on the board and J.K. Dobbins was on the board, I would take J.K. Dobbins. Okay, um, I think that not because that the offensive line can't be upgraded. And not because that wouldn't do it, because I view the gap between John Feliciano and Jonah Jackson as being smaller than the gap between TJ Yeldon and J.K. Dobbins. I think that's a bigger upgrade, mostly because I'm not a huge TJ Yeldon guy. And I'm not here pounding the table saying John Feliciano is the greatest thing since sliced bread either. But I think that if you ran it back with the five that you have – You would be you'd be problematic, but not because it wouldn't be sufficient. You'd be problematic because you're going to you're going to run into problems in 2021. So I do want the offensive line to be addressed, but it's much more for 2021 than it is this year. Unless you were planning on kicking Cody Ford inside the guard, which I don't think they're going to. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: Okay, great. So here's a few other names I've seen in the second round being mocked to the Buffalo Bills: um, Edge, Curtis Weaver from Boise State, which I know that you said you've had a little bit of a crush on earlier in uh, on your podcast with uh, with Nick. Um, what do you think about uh, Curtis Weaver in the second round?
1: I like Curtis Weaver. I do. I, I think that I think he gets. He's kind of a weird kind of athlete. And so people watch him on tape, and they go, well, "What do I do with this guy exactly? Like, what do I what do I make of him?" Because you, know, you got to understand the background with Curtis Weaver. Curtis Weaver is a defensive tackle conver- conversion. So he came to Boise State way heavier than he played at now. Now he played, you know, two sixty five, two seventy ish, um, which is about right size for the. Preferred size of defensive end that Sean McDermott likes to utilize. You look at someone like Mario Addison. You look at Charles Johnson. You look at these players, and they're all two seventy five ish players. Sean McDermott is not your your two hundred and forty two pound Brian Burns, bendy you know, bendy lights, explosive athlete off the edge guy. That's not who he is. He has shown an affinity for bigger, stockier more powerful guys who win with hand usage and can set the edge. And I think that part of that is because he prefers more athletic linebackers. One of the main goals of Sean McDermott's D is keep the linebackers clean. And so I think having bigger ends helps him accomplish that goal a little bit more in a linebacker focused defense. But – I like Curtis Weaver. I think he has good hand usage. I think he's a better athlete than people think he is. I, th- I like his lateral agility. I like the ability for him to quickly get up and under into alignment's pads. He's not an explosive, bendy athlete. You're not going to see him motorcycle turn his way around uh, offensive tackle and you know reach out for a crazy, bendy, flexible strip sack. That's not who he is. But I think Mario Addison is a fairly decent comp for Curtis Weaver. And if you told me you're going to get that kind of career – out of a, st- a player at 54, I'd sign me up all
2: day long. Mm-hmm. Well, what about another player I've seen mocked to the Buffalo Bills a lot l- lately? Um, the ed- edge defender, Jonathan Greenard, I've seen a lot. W- which one would you choose? Would you choose him over Curtis Weaver? And um, do you see him as more of a fit? I would
1: take Weaver over Jonathan, for sure. Um, I am not a. am not opposed to Jonathan Greenard at all. I'm not opposed to him. In fact, I think one of the things that was interesting about watching him is I initially started watching Florida in one of the, in the opening game against Miami. And I started watching them because I was looking at Jabari Jazaniga, who is the other edge for Florida. And then while I'm watching him, Jonathan Greener keeps making plays and I'm like, oh, okay, well, we're, we're going to do that. Then I guess pull out my notes, start drawing, jotting this down a little bit. And so I really think that Jonathan Greener is one of those players who's still ascending and, I like that about him. I think he has flashes. And if he can be those things more consistently, then that's great. But he is absolutely process for sure. But he comes with him. He got dinged up a little bit. He had a very significant uh, wrist injury in 2018. And so it's one of those things where you might be able to buy low on Jonathan Greenard. I think that that's one of those scenarios where if you were looking at trying to get somebody undervalued, I think he would be someone like that. I would personally take Weaver. I think he's a better – he's a higher floor, if that makes sense. But
2: I wouldn't be opposed to Jonathan Greenard at all. Is that usually where you look in your mock drafts and when you're creating a mock draft is you choose high floor over high ceiling?
1: I have shown a personal bias toward high floor because the draft is such an incredible crapshoot anyway. I'm not a shoot for the moon and you'll land among the stars thing. That's absolute load of horse crap. Shoot for the moon, you you miss. You're out in space for the rest of your life and you die of asphyxiation. <laughs> That's not how this works. That's a terrible, terrible saying. We should stop saying that. That's just an awful, awful saying. And what, whoever's mother ever told you to say that and told you to think that way, they just they they, they did they did you they did you wrong from right, right from the get go. Grow up, Peter Pan, Don't Chocula. So, I am a I am a, a risk adverse. Sort of a human being. And so when it comes to that, I personally, if I was a GM, I would be trade down, team trade down and take high floor players. Right. And then later in the draft, when the risks were lower, I would take all of my flyers on crazy athletes who weren't even good at their positions. Just give me ridiculous athletes on day three. And then on day one and two, trade down and give me high floor because that's who I am. I'm risk adverse as an individual. But I think Curtis Weaver, he's shown so much production that I have a hard time imagining him being terrible. I also have a hard time imagining him being a a 15-sack-a-year guy, Mm -hmm. but it's just one of those scenarios where I can't imagine a path to absolute
2: horrid bust for Curtis Weaver. And that's one of the things I like about him. So going into, uh, you already mentioned Kyle Duggar on your podcast with Joe Marino on Locked On Bills, and from from what I've I've seen him mocked the Bills in the second round. It doesn't sound like it's something that you think will happen, right? You think it's something more to the effect of they were looking at it because Jordan Poyer hadn't got his contract extension at the time. They're looking for depth there. Um, do you still think that that's a possibility? I think it's possible.
1: I have a weird time imagining the fit. So if we pick Kyle Duggar at fifty four, I'll go. Okay, sweet. We got a great athlete. I have no clue what they're going to do with him because I think the the prevailing theory is they're going to make him the Buffalo nickel, right? They're going to make him a big nickel and that's fine and everything, but he hasn't shown any of those traits thus far. Now, he's a crazy athlete, so they might just think, listen, I don't, I don't even care if he's shown that. We can teach him to do that. And that might be something – there might be something to that. I mean there is a level of arrogance to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott that – We don't feel comfortable talking about because we always associate arrogance as being bad. But really, when you're a GM and you trade up all the time like Brandon Bean does, that means you're arrogant. You believe so strongly in your process. You're willing to sacrifice picks to get your guy because you believe so strongly that your guy is going to have a higher probability of being the guy than everybody else's guy. I am so much better at this drafting thing that I'm going to trade up to get my dude. Like there's a level of arrogance associated with that. And if you draft an athlete like Kyle Duggar, you go, well, you know what? We'll teach him to play nickel. It's fine. I have a nickel coach now. I don't know if you guys have heard, but I had a nickel coach. We're going to teach him to be play nickel, right? If that's the case, then that's okay. We just we
2: just didn't take someone with that skill set. So what about – okay, so the third round I'm going to go with I – I just have a few names I've seen uh, that have been mocked to the Bills as of late. Um, another edge defender, Jabari Zanuga out of Florida. Um What are your thoughts on him in the third round? Would you take him? And uh, do you see that as a fit for the Bills?
1: Jabari Zuniga, just. ah, Jabari Zuniga, I I inverted the J and the Z there for a second. (laughs) Jabari Zuniga is one of those players where I mentioned that I watched the Florida Miami game and he was on my list. And I said, okay, I'm going to watch him. And then Jonathan Greenard kept popping out at me. But he's another one of those buy low players. I think both of the Florida ends kind of underwhelmed a little bit this year, but they both have the tools. And it's so hard to find good edge rushers because they go so high that if you're looking for an edge rusher in the sixth round, good luck. Like you're done. Like just don't don't even worry. Don't even waste your time. All right, move on. Nothing to see here. Because that's why you take a flyer on you know Daryl Johnson in the seventh. Because you're like, well, I mean, he's got tools anyway. Let's just go ahead and, and try this guy on for size. But if you have a chance to get somebody in the mid rounds who can actually produce for you because they have the athletic gifts and they've at least flashed that ability. You got to take them. And so, you know, Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Greener kind of go hand in hand with that whole, they underwhelmed a little bit this year, but they have the tools and they flash that upper level echelon ability. So if Zabari Zuniga is the pick, I just did it again. Jabari Zuniga is the pick in the third round you be have hard pressed. You be hard pressed to complain too much about that because it's rare to get those level of tools in the third round.
2: Well, if they did perform at a high level, then they wouldn't be second and third round prospects, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at. Right. If they have all the tools. What about running back Zach Moss from Utah in the third round?
1: Oh man, you got my heart beating now. No. Oops. So I think I think that I think Zach Moss. If you, if you tell me you got to pick a running back in the third or fourth round this year, uh, I'm going to immediately look for Zach Moss, the most important running back traits, in my personal opinion, are vision and contact balance. Those are the things that get you to good. So I'm mean, you and I talked about floor versus ceiling. The thing that determines your floor as a running back, in my opinion, are vision and contact balance. If you have those two things, you can be a decent running back in the NFL. The athleticism gets you from decent to good and from good to great. So Zach Moss, when he ran a 4-7-ish at the Combine, I was like rubbing my hands together like 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 was it Mr. Burns from The Simpsons? Excellent. And I was like, yes, that's exactly right. Just fall to the fourth round. Everything is going according to plan. Because I don't really care, quite frankly. Devin Singletary ran a four six six. Running backs being super crazy fast is overrated. And so I'm all the way down, all the way down for taking Zach Moss in the fourth if we didn't get an upper echelon player earlier because I think he gives you what you need. He's a versatile running back. He can plug right in for Devin Singletary, and you're not really missing a beat. A little bit more powerful, not quite as shifty, I think. But the balance is there. You're trading some of the shiftiness for a little bit of power. But overall, they're similar players when it comes to skill set. Their body types are different, but they're similar similar players when it comes to that. And I like redundancy in my running backs. I have always enjoyed redundancy in my running backs. Redundancy in wide receiver skill set, not so much, but. When you only have one of those players generally on the field at a time, redundancy is a good thing because specialization breeds predictability. And so if you have a player on there that only does one thing, if you have someone like, let's say you had Antonio Gibson as your RB2. Now, hopefully you would have him as more of an offensive weapon, but let's say Antonio Gibson was RB2. Antonio Gibson's ability to run between the tackles is um, how you say less than desirable. And so if you put him in the backfield, they're probably not going to run inside zone. There's probably not a lot of trap game going on there. There's not a lot of power. Uh, At that point, we're probably doing something on the perimeter. And I don't like tipping my hand to a defense because one of the benefits of playing offense is I know where I'm going and you don't. And that allows superior athletes to be superior. But if I tip my hand by not having a redundant player, then that's bad. So I actually like the redundancy in the running back. So I'm all aboard, Zach Moss.
2: Okay. Okay, the last uh, player in the third round that I've seen Mocked a lot to the Buffalo Bills, and the only reason I want to go through them is because you know the the closer we are to the first round, the more likelihood it has to happening. Right? There's more picks happening. Is the more you go down. If I say what the seventh round mocked uh, wide receiver is to the Bills, I mean it's almost not going to happen, almost guaranteed. But one I one name I've seen quite often is wide receiver Brian Edwards out of South Carolina in the third round. What are your thoughts on him, and do you do you like that fit for the Buffalo Bills?
1: I do like Brian Edwards. I really think that Brian Edwards had an unfortunate unfortunate offseason because because of the injuries and because he wasn't able to get in front of people the way that he wanted to, I think that he's gonna drop just because teams are gonna be gun shy. Teams are gonna say, listen, I, I just I just didn't get a chance to confirm my questions. You know, I didn't get a chance to get the medicals. I didn't get a chance to meet him. I didn't get a chance to do these things. But when you turn on the tape, Brian Edwards has the requisite skills to be a good receiver in this league. Not an okay receiver, a good receiver. You know, he has the burst. He has the ability. He has the size. He can win in contested catches. He can win on multiple different breaking routes. A lot of times with some of these taller players, you worry about how well they can sink their hips and get out into horizontal wins. And he can win horizontally. And so that's a unique thing. One of my things that I always yelled about with T. Higgins is that I don't trust T. Higgins' ability to run a full route tree. And I think that Brian Edwards is markedly ahead of him in that in that regard. But it's unfortunate because I think some team is going to be very, very happy in two years that they didn't let him slip past them and they took a little bit of a risk.
2: Outside receiver or slot receiver?
1: Um, I'm okay with him. Being in the slot occasionally, I don't think he's got quite the short area quickness that you're going to look for from some of your slot receivers. But if you're going for a big slot, sure. If you're trying to force people into advantageous matchups with, you know, smaller corners, you know, if 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 Brian Poole is on the other end of that, the Jets slot corner, then I am I feel very comfortable with him being able to do that. But I, I don't think that's really a ball that Josh Allen likes to throw mm-hmm. as far as that big slot contested. He did it with Duke Williams uh, in the playoff game to, to the tune of 10 targets. But thus far, the reason that the uh, Bills have gravitated towards smaller separation receivers is because Josh Allen's a lot more of a see it and throw it kind of a player. And when you have a howitzer attached to your right shoulder, you can get away with that. So that helps.
2: But ultimately, I'd, I'd like to see him on the outside. So last player I'm going to bring up before we go into a mock draft together is another huge wide receiver in the fourth round. I've seen mocked the Bills several times is Colin Johnson out of Texas. What are your thoughts on, on him?
1: I'm not a huge Colin Johnson guy. Um, I think it's probably because I watched a lot of a Robinson, Robertson film and, um, Robertson really, really got in Colin Johnson's head. When you're six foot six and you don't play like you're six foot six, what's the point of you being six foot six? And that's the thing. I mean, for a while there, there was a discussion as to whether or not Colin Johnson or Michael Pittman was a better receiver. And I thought I was taking crazy pills. I was like, are we even watching the same game at this point? Michael Pittman is clearly, in my opinion, a day two guy. And Colin Johnson isn't even the best receiver on his team. I think Devin Duvernay is a better receiver than Colin Johnson. And, you know, Amik Robertson from Louisiana Tech absolutely got up in Colin Johnson's gravy. Five foot nine, Amik Robertson absolutely took six foot six Colin Johnson to school to the point where he was getting visually frustrated about getting beat up. And I just don't know if he can get off the line. And so if he can't get off the line, he's basically James Hardy at that point. And that was one of the problems with James Hardy. He couldn't get off the line. So if you have a six foot six receiver who, A, can't get off the line and B, can't win horizontally, what exactly are you going to do with him?
2: Yeah, that's scary to me, especially having had. James Hardy and Kelvin Benjamin as of late, two huge individuals, huge players that never played to their size, it appeared.
0: When you look at Kelvin Benjamin, guys, he's 6'5", he's 245 pounds, he's probably a Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end.
2: I'm a little gun-shy of that. As well you should be. Well. <laughs> Brandon Bean has shown a propensity to trade up into drafts. Now, he's traded up into the first round twice during the Josh Allen draft. He traded up into the second and third rounds last season to draft Cody Ford and Dawson Knox. The Bills have seven picks in the draft, and just recently, in a virtual press conference with the Buffalo Media, he mentioned having to worry about cutting guys if he didn't take them at the right position late in the draft. Now, do you think the Bills will trade up into the draft? And if you had to guess, which rounds can you see the Bills trading up into?
1: Oh, absolutely! They're gonna trade up. I don't think Brandon Bean can stop himself. I think it, I think what happens is he starts to kind of tap a little bit, and you know he gets a little antsy, and you know I think that there are people. I'm convinced that Brandon Bean filled this front office with talented people just so they could hold him back from the telephone, so he wouldn't trade away all the assets because he's a hyper aggressive guy, and with that arrogance that comes along with, I know that this guy's gonna be good. I'm gonna go get him, come hell or high water. That aggression is part of who he is I don't think that that really goes away i I can almost guarantee he'll I would be floored if Brandon Bean did not trade up in this draft and if I were a betting man I would bet you're gonna see a fourth to a third jump or you're gonna see a jump up in the third to get somebody um, depending on who they pick at 54 like if let, I'll give you a great example let's say that you know JK Dobbins and Curtis Weaver right are both there. At fifty-four, and he takes one of them. He's going to keep a tab on the other one, and when that other one starts to fall and gets within range, he's going to jump and go get him. And that's the kind of thing that Brandon Bean would do. And that's a scenario where I—I I don't think he can stop himself. Quite frankly, I, I really don't think he can. And now that there's not going to be anybody physically in the room with him, oh God, help us all! I mean, if you should put a you put a, a phone in with Brandon Bean, he might he may spend he might spend all the twenty twenty one picks. Mike Ditka style for uh, Ricky Williams.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh!
1: As a, as a, as a running backs uh, are don't have a high value kind of guy, you can imagine how I felt about the New Orleans Ricky Williams draft. That was that was something.
2: Uh, uh. <laughs> well, I guess so. So a couple of questions about that. So I kind of see him trading into the second round only because, like you mentioned, he's going to have to watch that whole first round and not do anything, thinking, man, I'd really like to get into this round. I can't do it because I'm going to have to give up next year's first round pick. But, um, you know, day two or when when the, the second round starts and he starts getting into the 30s and he starts seeing players that he really likes, I could see him drafting maybe not high, maybe not into the 30s, but maybe into the mid to low 40s. Or high 50s? Can you see that happening?
1: I can see it. I just, I've run through what it would take to make that jump, and I'm not sure he's willing to make three picks in the draft. I just don't think, I I would anticipate the Bills to make five selections Mm -hmm. in the draft. With the seven picks that they have, they'll make five selections. I can't see a scenario where they could make one in the second and then not Mm -hmm. again until the sixth, Mm -hmm. which might be what would be necessary to get high enough to make an impact player.
2: Yep. Yep. I went through the math myself too. And that would, that would take, that would take a lot. So, um, one last question before we go into our mock draft, you mentioned, uh, the bills, you know, them all being in separate locations, all the front office staff. I mean, this is something the NFL set in place so that nobody would have an advantage over uh, no front office would have an advantage over other front offices, whether their state was in quarantine or not. Um, so in this situation, do you have enough confidence in the Bills that they actually have an advantage over other teams not being able to get medical evaluations from these players and not being able to do all of the interviews that they'd like to do in person? Or do you think that that's a negative? Do you think that's a huge part of Brandon Bean's process in selecting players and that might cost them this draft?
1: I don't know that it necessarily affects the Bills adversely more so than anybody else. Uh, I think that everyone has their own pretty particular idiosyncrasies when it comes to drafting people. I will say this, that the Bills are known for being a, a team that puts in the work during the college football season. If you talk to people from the draft network like Joe Marino, he'll tell you that when they're in the press box, there's always a Bills guy. Always a Bills guy. The Bills are everywhere during the college football season. And so that gives you the the hope that they're they're well prepared for something like this. And that their decision making really isn't based on anything that they're actually missing this time around. But on the other hand, you know, other teams are, other teams are ubiquitous too. I mean, it's not one of those things where, I mean, unless you're a Bengals fan and you have, you know, $8 spent on scouting and we were convinced that the vast majority of Bengals stuff actually comes from draft Twitter, you know, unless that's the case, then I think you're going to be probably equally as effective. <laughs>
2: So that does it for the first half of the conversation with Bruce about the NFL draft and some commonly mocked players to the Buffalo Bills in the second, third, and fourth rounds. Stay tuned for the second part of our conversation where we do a live mock draft together and i give him several trade scenarios several potential trade scenarios of the bills trading up into the third round or back into the third round and we go over which players bruce would take from the second through the seventh rounds so look forward to that and again follow bruce at bruce exclusive on twitter and go bills thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you guys again soon